0: Good evening, everyone, or I should say good morning. It is, uh, let's see, 1258 East Coast time, Sunday, December 11th. I am Luke Thomas. I am the host of SiriusXM's The Luke Thomas Show, and uh, I am a senior editor over at MMAfighting.com. I hope you are doing well. Thank you for joining me. This will be a recap and results of what we saw just now at UFC 206. So without further ado, let's get right down to it. First of all, what do you say about that card generally, um, especially the main card? Whew. Totally delivered, totally delivered. If you look on my YouTube channel, I mean, look, again, you'll be right about some things. You'll be wrong about some things, uh, and that's okay. As long as you're out there trying to do things honestly and in an interesting and informative way, You'll see that like just a couple of days ago, I uploaded a video where I was like, there's a lot to like on this card. That's not a call necessarily to buy it, but if you just looked at the matchups, you were like, "Mm, some of these might go interestingly and certainly, especially on that main card, they absolutely did. There were some people being like, well, you know, the only downside to tonight is that some people might be like, man, the cards that everybody sleeps on, uh, those are the ones that turn out the best, really. Can we please bury that tired argument? Everyone slept on UFC Albany. You know what? It sucked. Uh, There was a couple of decent moments, of course, but um, it's just so not true that the ones like everybody skips are all of a sudden great. And even if that's true, uh, it's not going to change anything because people keep doing it. People buy cards based on star power. That's just the way it goes. Now, hardcore fans don't. Hardcore fans might make some more... um, you know, deliberate choices about how they spend their money, right? Well, I want to see this guy in particular. I'm looking for this matchup, and I'm interested in this division or whatever the case may be. But the the biggest audience of MMA fans is casual fans, and they buy their cards based on star power. And This one didn't have a whole lot. So, um, so I don't expect the buy rate to be great. However, if you did buy it, uh, and I did, you got your money's worth. This one was incredible. Uh, certainly, again, on that main card from start to finish. So um bravo if you are a smart fan bravo if you know when to, you can discern quality and when you can't because if you can uh then you're the winner tonight and that's a fact all right without uh belaboring that point too much let's get into ufc 206 we'll start from the main event and go down um, i know there was a lot of combat sports action this weekend there was in fact ufc albany last night and francis and ganu the mutant as I'm going to start calling him now. Uh, we'll get to that in the Monday Morning Analyst. Uh, also with Glory, and I know there was Bellator as well. All that we'll get to in the Monday Morning Analyst. Tonight we're just going to focus um, on UFC 206. All right, main event, Max Holloway defeating Anthony Pettis via TKO in the third, 450, so um, almost went to the fourth round. Anthony Pettis apparently breaking his hand in the first round. Huh. What do you want to say about this one? Um Max Holloway is getting better as a shit talker. I feel like that's important to note. I still feel like the Where's Aldo gimmick is a little corny, but not bad. Certainly better than it has been for him uh, more recently. But uh, nevertheless, he is, I think, the point I'm trying to articulate is that he is growing into a role as not merely a headliner, but um, one of the more centrally figured fighters. Like, he's getting the idea that, like, all of these radio interviews, all of this camera time, it comes with something. And if you want to use it, something can happen as a consequence. Some guys don't want to use it and never have. But if you want to, the opportunity is there. And I think he's slowly beginning to recognize that and playing with how he does it. Um, as for the fight itself, I have, again. This is these are. I mean, literally, the fight just ended. This is very preliminary thoughts, but I feel like, um, you know, the, going in, my general belief about things was number one. Uh, Holloway starts at a safe distance, and then he'll play with ranges, but basically you'll see if, you, if there was like a heat map, he'll get closer and closer as the fight wears on. I feel like that bore out. Um, I think what also bore out for me was that... Um, He's just exceptional at making adjustments. So, you might be asking, like, what adjustments did he make? In this one, it was less about things he took away from Pettis, you know, because he was constantly moving and he was still baiting. And some of those things never changed. Like, he was constantly on the back foot. Pettis would charge in a straight line and he'd raise his right leg and then dive in and blitz with punches, right? So, he did a lot of that throughout the course of the fight and it had a pretty great effect. Um, so it was less about like taking away things and more just finding things that work and then sticking with them. Um, again, I have to go back and watch the fight for obviously before tomorrow's podcast. But for Pettis, you know, obviously losing the ability to punch with his right hand was pretty devastating for him. He has a good chin; he always always had a good chin. But uh, and he and I feel like he takes damage to the body pretty well. But this time, you know, Max Holloway, I th- I think I might be right on this. I think the first punch he landed was a right hand to the body. from the get-go they knew if they could soften that up not only would it probably slow him down, but that um, they might be able to do something with it later. That's the other part about Max Holloway. it's not that the ranges merely change, but some of the weapons that he uses they, they they grow as he begins to understand what he can and can't do and what he realizes what he can do, the lethality of them grows minute over minute, round over round. So, you know, he may have thrown a right hand to the body to begin, and then he was crushing him with a right kick to the body um, to close the show. And then he uh, then he fakes, fakes twice, and then and then cracks him with a punch and then sits him up against the cage. Oh, man, it was brutal, super brutal stuff. Like, that's sort of what Max Holloway does. And I'm, I've been saying it, man, If you, if you got to hurt him early. you got to get him defensive early. you got to get him backing up, not just backing up, but, like, controlled early he had anthony pettis shooting on him now again some of that may have been the broken right hand fair enough but nevertheless to me it was like eye-opening that you know anthony pettis had never been stopped before and um you know this is a guy who had a shoulder dislocated once during a fight and still won right so he's obviously really tough um but it was it was alarming to me that, one, he was the one shooting and that the whole talk before this fight was, well, you know, I keep losing because my back gets put up against the cage. Well, your back didn't get put up against the cage this time unless you got reversed there and Pettis was – or um, Holloway was backing out. Uh, you know, he, he just well, he straight beat you in the center of the cage, man. There's just no two ways about it. How about those foot sweeps, man? I mean, you have no idea how he makes those look effortless. Those are so hard to time. Uh, I believe it's the same one that Akiyama hit on Shields. You'll see, what, 114, something like that. Um, Incredible job. Incredible job of doing that. Like, I feel like Max Holloway, man, such a masterful grasp of distance, and his timing is good, and he uh, has great reactions He's defensively responsible. How many times you ever see him draw back? And every time he's here, every time he's here, and punch would land, and a kick would land, and every time he's here, he's so hard to catch, slipping. He just really is. um And he dropped Pettis. I think was it the second round he dropped him. You know, I mean, just Max Holloway is something special. Now, how far can he go? Can he beat Jose Aldo? I don't know. Um, I don't know what kind of fight that would be. I have to think about that a little bit more. He would probably get chewed up with some of those leg kicks. He was checking them from Pettis a little bit later, and maybe that had some effect too. I'd have to think about it. But for now, it seems like to me um, he can just find an opening and either getting Pettis to come forward and countering or blitzing him as he was charging in, he he was just really quite capable here. And Max Holloway is – is, I always said it, man. I, I feel like Conor McGregor – and max holloway i don't know if they'll ever fight again but i i definitely feel like we're going to look back on the guys that conor mcgregor beat and we're going to be like dude he beat max holloway and towards acl the whole time like that's impressive max holloway is is very good now you have to ask what's next for anthony pettis he says he's going back to 155 it's probably the right call you know if you can't make 148 uh if you can't make 145 and you're coming in at 148 and you came in the week 10 pounds over which what dana white told michael landsberg man You know, what do you want me to say? Like, 145 is probably just not for you. But at 155, there'd be no shelter there either, right? Uh, It's Anthony Pettis is a bit of a tough, tough moment in his career. Uh, We're going to see where things go and how he retools. But I feel like this is weird to say because I can think of guys who have taken more punishment than him. But there's a part of me that feels like he's taken a lot of punishment and it's affected him especially in the Rafael dos Anjos fight. He took a lot of punishment in that one, you know, uh, not the kind that he was ever like hanging on for dear life, but just getting, just eating these really brutal shots. And I, and I don't know if it's done anything to him, but I kind of feel like it has, I don't know. Uh, Donald Cerrone defeating Matt Brown. He was catching away with that head kick the whole fight. And then finally just shut the lights out. I thought Brown was like, had caught on at the end of the second round and, or excuse me, ended the first round and the second round had done better. Um, I don't remember how I scored it, but, um, and then coming out and touching gloves and then hugging in the third and he gets slept 34 seconds later. Oh God, he probably will live to regret that. Although in the end, you know, maybe that doesn't matter so much, but for, um, for Matt Brown, a difficult moment in his career for Don Cerrone. I mean, he's just tearing people up at, at, at welterweight hard, hard to overstate how good he is there too. um, I'm trying to think about like what, what really stood out to me in that fight. One was Brown's tenacity too both guys were attacking the body a lot and it was having not much of an effect in turn. In in the end, they all got dropped. And every time it was a consequence of a head strike, which sort of is also makes sense, right? If you're being overly protective of the body in ways that maybe Matt Brown had been, or, um, you know, that they're expecting to throw to the body and you switch things up by throwing to the head. That, that that actually makes some sense, but, um, just sort of noteworthy. Everyone's like, Oh man, these guys can't take body shots. And then they get head kick KO'd, you know? But I thought Brown did pretty well for portions of that fight. I thought Brown uh, was much better about. Um, he was. I think this was the first time I ever saw someone at welterweight truly show how much stronger they were than him. Felt to me like Brown in the clinch was 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 just. I think the 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 strength and control of Brown was giving Cerrone a little bit of problems. Um, that triangle he had at the end of the first was nice. You could see Cerrone. If you guys remember this. Um, one of the hands, I have, to, I have to go back and watch which one it was, but one of the hands was occupied. Cerrone in the triangle had two on one on one of the hands. Why? Because that was the free hand that was going to pull in the back of Cerrone's head to close the triangle. That was one of the few things saving him, and he was like holding on to Brown's hand like with all that he had. Oh, that's right, because Brown. So Brown's hands are occupied. Why? One hand was underneath Cerrone, so that if Cerrone stood, he couldn't stand all the way upright. Like rampage arona if so if i have a triangle on someone they try to stand and i underhook like this one of their near side legs same side you have the triangle on preferably they can't stand it's like an emergency break and you saw a little bit of that but let me make sure my video is working yes because last time it wasn't it acts as like an emergency brake. so that's how this hand was down so then he had this hand and cerrone had two hands on that thing because he knew if that one got free and pushed on the head it was that was going to close the show. And uh, so he was that close to getting finished. So Matt Brown did his work, man. He's a tough, tough guy. and He's talented. And And I felt like in the second round, he was much better about playing outside of the range and not getting caught too much. But you know what he was doing a lot of? He was he was lowering his stance a lot. He was really lowering his stance. And I guess Cerrone didn't want to greet him with a knee for fear of getting tied up in a clinch maybe or just didn't occur to him or he didn't feel like he needed it. But he had found a, found a home for that switch step um, I think it was a left high kick, and uh, and all the crouching, all the crouching, all the fainting, all the lowered stance. Caught up with him, man. What does that put Matt Brown in terms of his losses? I didn't even check his record before this. Ah, man, he's lost f- five of his last six. Oof. Uh, not against losers. Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, and he beat Tim Means, but then Demi and Maya, Jake Ellenberger, and Don Cerrone. That's tough, man. That is a tough way. Pardon me. <sighs> I'm sorry about that to go down. Uh, okay. How about, I mean, what do you even say about Cub Swanson and Duho Choi? <sighs> what do you even say about that? Unbelievable. The whole time I'm like, you know, I'll sort of pay attention, like what their weaknesses were and blah, blah, blah. Like who gives a fuck? You know, <laughs> like from a technical standpoint, who cares? Like that, that, that fight. Okay. So then to be said for the fact that Duho Choi has like great hand speed, obviously sick power. Um, head movement's not great, and he can be countered. So I think it's something to pay attention to going forward. Like, he's been fighting a lot of guys who have been taking advantage of that. And you saw even Swanson was able to take advantage of that a lot. But in the end, that's not why he won or lost. Just I'm sort of remarking for the future. Everyone's like, oh, Duho Choi's stock went up. And of course it did. That dude's chin is a fire hydrant, man. But if we're just thinking about other guys he might fight, it's just something to keep in mind. Like, he doesn't have a lot of head movement, and he can be countered. And he fights in a lot of straight lines. So that's going to get him in trouble. But that chin of his is insane. Do you guys remember when Cub Swanson swung from the fucking bleachers and landed on uh, George Roop's chin and sent his mouthpiece into orbit? Duho Choi took like 15 of those. (laughs) I was in my room being like, what is happening? what is this what are you doing how is this possible how could that and he looked like his face had been uh i remember one time i was wrestling with my brother when i was a kid and i shoved him through like a thorn bush and his face came out it was all messed up and it was all these scratches and shit and i remember like when i saw duho choice face after the fight i'm like you look i mean you don't look great by any stretch of imagination but you don't look much worse than my brother did when i just shoved him in some bushes you know um so he wears damage well, I mean, considering all the damage he took and ju- I mean, Cub Swanson was, I, I mean, emptied the clip on him and Duho Choi gave him the business too, especially in that second round when I thought, I thought for sure Swanson was going to go down. Uh, and those two just went back and forth. Now, usually I'm a little reluctant to give brawls, um, fight of the year. I usually want to see like uh, something where it's a little more technical, but also like panicked, and guys are doing everything they possibly can. I guess we'll see, you know, how 207 goes or whatever. But in terms of like round of the year, you know, round three <laughs> between those two guys, and Cub Swanson still have the wherewithal, by the way, to use like reverse half guard and stand and then reverse into him and then uh, get on top. Like, Jesus, man. What, I mean, what, what men what warriors these two guys are what what in the case of cub swanson what a veteran he is i love when guys come into fights and they're not quite done yet and they've got chips on their shoulders because they will let you know what time it is oh my goodness and you saw some of that tonight man cub swanson was battering him and Duho. i mean this is the crazy part about it like cub swanson has very respectable documented knockout power and he threw Everything at Ho Choi, and Duho Choi took all of it. Now, you might have to worry like, what does this do to a prospect? You don't want to put him in too many fights like this. You know, you have to be very careful with him. Um, it's a very redemptive fight for cub Swanson. A, a little bit concerning for Duho Choi, but I still I don't I don't think this will like alter the trajectory of his career, although it could, but I, I don't think so. I I still think he'll he'll come back strong, but I think if you're the ufc you want to be like okay whoever we put him up against next we can't just give him a gimme fight but we need to make sure he doesn't put himself in a position where he's taking damage like that again because while his chin is extraordinary that's not good for him kelvin Gastelum defeating tim kennedy um via tko okay so there's a bit of a debate in this fight like first of all Kelvin gaston looked amazing his boxing was on point like Um, He had a bit of trouble fighting the hands of Tim Kennedy in the first round when Tim had like a body lock on him. But after that, he just took it away. I I didn't think Tim Kennedy looked like himself. Now, look, is it true that Kelvin Gastelum looked phenomenal tonight? No doubt about it. And you could even say he's had a number of like really phenomenal performances at middleweight. This one, the Hall fight and the Marquardt fight. But I still think that there's a bit of something to say about that. Like Hall has been very inconsistent. Marquardt is, you know, I, I realize he's, hanging on still but he is very close to the end of his career and i just didn't think tim kennedy looked like himself like this is not the guy that you know went five rounds with luke rockhold this is not the guy that i you know came very close to beating yoel romero this one seemed to be very rusty early on and i don't know if trying to maintain his weight messed him up a little bit i interviewed him that week in new york for 205 when he thought he was still going to fight and he was like this was the best camp i was perfectly ready to rock and I have spoken to him since, but only about that uh, MM A stuff. So I, I actually hadn't even followed up um, about like his weight and how much he was struggling to do it. And maybe I should have. You know, I think that's I, I kind of botched that because it again maybe that maybe this is just ring rust. Maybe that's just who he is. And Kelvin made him look that way. Maybe my hunch is that like, are we right to think Kelvin actually looks very good at middleweight? Yes, we are. I think we're at we're also at least a little right to consider to what extent um, Kennedy, you know, maybe maybe this is the end for him. Maybe he those two years off really mattered. You know, look, guys like Mayweather can take time off and come back, and they're Mayweather. But a lot of guys take time off like that, and they're not the same. And I wonder if Tim Kennedy felt that way. He just literally he gassed, you know, inside of the first round. You know, that's just not him. And he was, he was fighting Gastelum like Gastelum had missed weight. Like, if you fought a guy who missed weight, what would you do? Right. You would work the you would work the body, you would maybe work some wrestling, get him to like fight under hooks and everything because it would wear him out, and then you just sort of turn it on later. And he did that, but like Gaston, of course, easily made 185. And he's now smaller but more nimble and quicker. Like it it you're only hurting yourself fighting him that way. And I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about Tim Kennedy's performance. I wonder what he would say about it, but it didn't look like the best Tim Kennedy. Or even the the normal Tim Kennedy. It looked like a, a lesser version. Truth is though, I think that Kelvin Gastelum might have be, might have beaten even the best version of Tim Kennedy. Like he looked phenomenal. He says he wants to go back to 170. We'll see if the UFC lets him. UFC might be like, dude, look what you're doing at middleweight. Just stay here. But I guess we'll have to see. Uh Emil Weber Meek taking on Jordan Mee, and he wins uh unanimous decision. What do you want to say about this guy? Meek to me or mech, however you probably pronounce it. Um looks to me like a guy who has a ton of athletic potential like he's he's clearly a a very athletic powerful guy um he's a little bit wild he's a little bit undisciplined but he is such a physical presence that only a very skilled fighter um who's competing at an athletic negative differential will be able to handle him um and Jordan Meehan was that guy for a round and then just kind of like phoned it in for two rounds. Um, never really let himself get too far you know, into trouble and never really did a whole lot about the guy's aggression. I, ben Folks had a tweet uh, that I thought was pretty correct. It was like, you know, this guy came out of retirement because he said he felt better. Maybe he does, you know, I don't know. But it looked to me like the reasons why he left were s- still kind of present. Like he didn't fight, you know, Cub Swanson fought wildly. Okay, but Cub Swanson fought with an extraordinary amount of intensity. You know, look how far into his career he is. And I'm not knocking the guy. Like, I don't think any less of guys if they don't want to do this kind of thing anymore, especially for someone who got into it so young. But, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Jordan Mean was, you know, hey, look, two years off. How good could he have possibly looked? Okay, fair enough. Let's see if he wants to keep going um, before we make any final determinations. But uh, Meek clearly has a lot of ability. And I think a lot of that is front loaded by incredible athleticism. I, I would like to see how, how old is this kid? Well, I don't know. I'll have to check it out later, but I'd like to see um I'd like to see what he can do with a little bit more technical refinement because he clearly is a physical powerhouse. How about Misha Sukunov defeating Nikita Krylov, hitting that Marcelo Garcia shin sweep off of his back, bro? You got a 205-pound guy like that who's probably 225 by today, hitting a hitting a shin sweep on you. That's the stuff of nightmares, man. That's the stuff of nightmares. You ever go to a Marcelo's, man? There's some guys in there that look like they are built like brick shit houses and you see them off their back hitting, you know, single leg X guard sweeps and shit, and you're just like, oh my God. You know <laughs> who are these? Who are these? Who are these Francis Enganu mutants who have these like, you know, Paulo Meow you know, Edwin Najmi dexterity of them from their guard. Um and then uh, hitting the same side arm in guillotine. I mean, he just gave him the business. He was all over him. Great way to fight. Great way to like stay. He was defensively responsible and uh, realized that like the kicks of 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 Kurlov can can catch you at all kinds of moments and distances. He was really um, diligent about that and uh, it paid off, man. Really paid off. Really strong showing for Sirkunov, who who clearly is like a, another guy who's a physical powerhouse, but I think you know has a ton of technical refinement. You can clearly tell, um, great, great stuff from him. Olivia aubin Marcia defeating Drew Dober. Dober man, uh, he had a lot of movement with his feet, but he was a lot, you know, just doing this. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of feints side to side. It was it was a lot of movement with his feet. Like he was definitely nimble. Like if you just looked at his feet, there was a lot to like. I think, but from his upper body. There it just wasn't there wasn't enough going on there. And uh Marcia Marcier was catching him um coming in all the time c- cleanly. Um and then on the ground, by the way, when he finishes that choke, he snatches it. Dober does the right thing, fights the high hand, and only when they fight the high hand, the guy will go and then gable grip, and you'll notice that he can't even get the gable grip. It's kind of like this almost like he's like making an X with his hands. But what he does is he tucks his shoulder behind him, lays on it to close the space, and go back and watch the replay. You can see your lats are like what helps you do a pull-up, right? That's your lats um, or to pull something into you. It's your back muscles, basically. I mean, you have lots of different muscles on your back, but it's your wings, right, if you think about that. Um, And you can see his lats engage as he is Using his whole body to get into that choke, you 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 know with a guy who looks the way he looks in terms of his build, and he's sinking his lats into it, man, it was that choke must have been quite vicious. Even though he only kind of had um, an X on his hands, uh Vivian Pereira defeating Valerie Letourneau and it was the most the worst fight I've ever seen. uh Matthew Lopez and Mitch Gan, y'all had a great fight, back and forth. Mitch, you know, Matthew Lopez was going to be left for dead in that first round gets dropped. Um, and somehow finds a way to hang on i think the reason why he hung on was because frankly he was the better grappler and the better wrestler and there's a difference between the two of course he hit lateral drops he was catching doubles he was timing them nicely he was able to pass them out he could take the back he could sort of control a guy against the fence really that's what won him that fight because uh standing i'm not saying he was completely out of it but it was at best even but on the ground he just really had a strong advantage you know mitch Gagnon is a good fighter he's credentialed he's he's uh He's been around for a while, and Matthew Lopez, I thought, after a tough first round, showing you with a more skilled guy in more dimensions, and you lost the first round, very impressive. Very impressive for him to be able to do that. Nice resiliency from a guy like uh, uh, Matthew Lopez. How about Lando Venata? Oh, my God, defeating John Magdesi. Just a less than two minutes, less than two minutes, he, he turned that guy's lights out. He had that sidekick and then he spun the other way into the, uh, uh, what was it, a spinning heel kick? I have to go back and watch. Um, brilliant. Just brilliant. Uh, he, he walked into the cage. And I talk about it all the time, man. You know, uh, only guy ever to win uh, four wrestling titles in college in four different weight classes was Kyle Dake. And I remember Dake in his senior year, like, don't you get nervous when all the lights are on? He's like, man, and I've said this story a million times. You guys know it. He's like, get nervous. That's when I'm at my my best. And I feel like Lando Venata and Conor McGregor's that way. I feel like Lando Venata's got that trait too. I'm not comparing him to Dake or McGregor. I'm just saying he's got some of that moxie where when the lights are on, can't wait to get in there. Can't wait to show you what time it is. Can't Can't wait to just be who he really is. It takes that moment for him to truly be full expression of Lando Venata. And he was... He dove into the octagon. I said, I said something similar to this on Twitter, like a bear diving into someone's backyard swimming pool, just like totally, uh, the the glee was impossible to contain and, uh, loose and, uh, quick and reactive and ready. And he has complete belief in his own offense, right? That's why he throws something like that. And you can see why, uh, and i don't know how far he can go but obviously he gave tony ferguson everything ferguson could handle on super short notice and sure he lost but you know he pushed ferguson to the limit he had a he had a camp this time and he shut macdussie's lights out with one strike look out man lando venata is here i'm very excited to see uh, what comes next from him again i'll have to go back and look at the tape to get a better examination of what he was doing but uh first impressions from that were you know, just like you, gobsmacked. Ruslan Havilov basically just out-wrestled Jason Sago. the One thing I think is sort of relevant to this whole card is um, you did see that nice sweep from Sir Kunov, but tonight was like a really strong demonstration. Like Jason Sago, you know, I, I mentioned last week Tim Elliott, overhooking the back of the head of DJ and then crossing one leg over that and then crossing the other leg over that and just sort of holding him there is stalling. And the reason why it's stalling is because there's no offense from there. Jason Sago was not doing that. He was controlling posture with half of a rubber guard, but he couldn't really get the rest of his offense going, even though he was trying. That's, that's to me, is not stalling. Like if you're controlling a guy's posture, but you're trying to do something with it. Cool. If you're just controlling a guy's posture, and you're just hanging out, you're stalling. Um, but but the, the, the lesson for me was there was a lot of fights tonight where there was just, like, decent guard play, but not really very effective guard play. Like, there wasn't a lot of – okay, so you had, you know, Brown got pretty close, and again, Circunov hit the shin sweep, and guard play is hard. Don't get me wrong, man. That's why you almost never see arm bars from the guard at the black belt division on anything because it's so hard to hit on somebody who's really good. Um, um, but – I did feel like tonight was a lot of, like, really weak or, like, ineffective guard play. Um, Maybe it's just this night. Maybe there's no greater lesson there. I don't know. But it definitely sort of occurred to me that there was, like, good guard players, and they just couldn't get up. They couldn't really, truly affect change with it, with an exception here or there. Uh, And then Dustin Ortiz defeating Zach Makovsky, basically um, out wrestling him for the most part, or, you know, being the dominant you know, he's a great scrambler and he was really dominant where he needed to be. Although it was a very, very tight contest. Zach Murkowski getting his brown belt, but under Marcelo Garcia, um, in between the last fight and this one, uh, he's no slouch, but Dustin Ortiz is, uh, you know, he left Duke Rufus and I feel like, um, you know, guys can go to Duke Rufus and get better. I, I don't mean to say like leaving Duke Rufus is a good thing. I just mean to say sometimes change is what you need. And it appears to have paid off for Dustin Ortiz. Let's see if there's any questions on Twitter. Uh, let's see. All right. This person is begging me to block them, so I will oblige. <laughs> so am making fun of Face the Pain. They're still going with Face the Pain. Can you believe it? Ugh. Someone says, I am rambling on at 1.30 in the morning. This mf'er must be hopped up on Mountain Dew and Pixie Sticks. Nope. Walk out songs comparison. I don't know what the... Someone says, Holloway beat the worst version of Pettis we've ever witnessed, and rightfully so. Special is reaching. Media hype. Okay. Well, if you're blind, that is your cross to bear. Uh, who is Max's camp? Beaten amazing comp, but he trains with relative no-names. I've got a list together somewhere. I made some notes. I had him on my show to talk about it. Um, it's a couple of Hawaiian fighters you've ever heard of. I believe Luis Smoka is part of that as well. Um, but I have a list of it. I have to, I'll have to pull it up somewhere. How close are Pettis and Brown from being cut? Brown might be. Pettis is not. Pettis to retire in 2017. What's next for Cerrone? Goddamn damn Cerrone. Let's look at those rankings, please. Cerrone. Cerrone, in, heading into this fight, was five. Here's who's ahead of him: Carlos Condit, Demi and Maya, Robbie Lawler, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and I guess maybe Nick Diaz, although he's not ahead of him, but he's certainly in the mix. How about Cerrone Diaz? That wouldn't be too bad, right? Uh, Cerrone Maya. I dig it. Hell, Cerrone Lawler, Cerrone Thompson, any of those. Any of those would be great, but maybe Cerrone Diaz has a little bit of – because he fought Nate and lost to Nate badly, so that would be kind of interesting. Um, Max versus Aldo. I don't know. How long a rest do you think Choi needs his brain? Can't be healthy. Six months, man. He doesn't need to come back anytime soon. He's going to be able to surf off what he was able to do for a long time. By the way, here we go. Uh, Fire the Night, Choi versus Swanson, of course. Performances of the night, Venata and Holloway. Attendance, 18057 Sellout for a gate of $2.5 A uh, Canadian, excuse me, $1.843 uh, American. Someone says the criticism is he misses weight, Gastelum. Let's, let's actually look at Kelvin Gastelum's record here for just a second because everyone's like, he misses weight every time. Well, he misses weight a lot. He doesn't miss weight every time. All right. He made his welterweight debut against Brian Melanson, and then he fought Rick Storey, no issue. He missed weight against Nico Musoki by a pound, a little bit more, a pound and and almost two pounds. Then he fought Jake Ellenberger, no issue. Um, He missed weight against Woodley, then he fought in middleweight. Then he returned to welterweight against Neil Magny and lost, but he made the weight. Then he made weight against Hendricks. It was Hendricks who missed weight. So let's see, he's missed weight... One, two, maybe three times at most. That's a lot, but only two times for definitively. One, two, two times that I see UFC Fight Night Swanson versus Stevens and UFC 183. There were other times he was coming in and fighting it. Well, the other part is he was also finding a middleweight because they didn't trust him to go back to welterweight. So you can count that, in. count that in as well. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, Kelvin can't make weight. And then everyone just sort of like applauds John Lineker as like the greatest of all time for missing. Oh, that's just old Johnny. It's just old Johnny out there missing weight. You know how Johnny does. He just misses weight. That's part of his charm. It's not part of his charm. But sure, I mean, look, he obviously has problems making 170. I'm not going to argue with you too much. But this idea that like it's, it's not possible. Okay, well... He did it against Rick Story. He did it against Brian Malanson. He did it against Jake Ellenberger. He did it against Neil Magney. and he could have done it against Hendricks. It was Hendricks who missed. Um, so there you go. Obviously, he can do it. Kevin says he would fight Vitor in Brazil in March. Yeah, fine. If he wants to stay middleweight, his choice too. Gaslam versus Nick Diaz would be fun. Yes, it would. Matt Brown, a, a contender for the biggest decline in 2016. Yeah, on our live chat, we were talking about like guys who'd had or ladies, whoever fighters who'd had tough runs in, in 2016. Here's Matt Brown's 2016. Ready? This is what he has done. In 2016, he fought Demi and Maya. He got he lost. Then he fought, he got submitted. He fought Jake Ellenberger. He got stopped in less than two minutes. And then he fought Don Cerrone and he got head chaos. So he fought three times, lost three times, and got finished all three times. That's a bad year. That's a bad year financially, too. Uh, how high is Duho Choice ceiling? Seems like he fell back on his chin. Could be, he also could have been overwhelmed by the moment and it may have looked that way, right? It takes a little bit of experience to let your skill set show. So it could be that as well. Um, I think there's reasons to be like pumping the brakes on him a little bit as well as having enthusiasm. Look, I just think you have to, I think you have to be cautiously optimistic with him. That was a big beating he took. He showed an unbelievable chin and it will continue, but there's probably some technical issues that could get him in trouble in future issues that he needs to shore up, but he's young and has time. Something like that. Okay. Soroni got no bonus. But, you know, no one had ever finished Pettis until Holloway came along. So take that for what it is worth. Arlovsky had a pretty bad year as well. Someone mentioned uh, Holly Holm had had a bad. Here you go. Condit had a bad year. Holly Holm had a bad year. Benson Henderson had a bad year, but he still I think at least won once. And Ian McCall had a bad year. Let's very quickly. I know he didn't fight on tonight's card. Ian McCall, fighter. Here's Ian McCall of 2016. He didn't fight because of all the fights that fell out. UFC 201, UFC 203, and UFC Fight 999. All three of them fell out. Poor bastard. Poor bastard. Didn't Kelvin miss weight at 205? It was a catch weight at 205, but it was Hendricks who missed. He just met him there um, because he didn't have to cut any more weight. How'd you score Cerrone versus Brown up to the finish? I think I had it around a piece. I think I had Cerrone taking the first and Brown taking the second. I can't remember. I don't really if I'm not now that I'm not like scoring fights for MMA fighting, I'm not really watching in that way, but I guess I should. But don't hold me to that. That might be wrong. Uh Marco Polo Reyes versus Dong Hyun Kim or Swanson versus Duho Choi. Polo Reyes versus Dong Hyun Kim was insane, but I still liked Swanson versus Choi better. For sure. Um, Let's see. What is it about Koreans that make them able to take tremendous amounts of punishment? Nothing, and that's—I mean, I'm not going to be an SJW, I promise. But that's a little bit racist. Uh, Valerie Letourneau had a bad year. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Okay. Any other observations from UFC 206? Decent uh, at the gate. Decent return. Curious to see what the pay-per-view buy numbers are. I'm going to guess. Let me do this right now. Look at some traffic. Let's see. Not bad. Not bad. I'm going to guess the traffic is going to be somewhere, that, or I'm going to guess that um I'm going to guess, let's say three, three fifty, somewhere between 250 and 350K for the pay-per-view buy rate. Somewhere in that ballpark is what I'm going to say, based on what I'm seeing here which is not great traffic, but not terrible either. Uh, Okay. Please like this video, share it around. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for watching. You're the best. Um, I'm going to go to bed. You should too. Get up tomorrow and blah, 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 blah. On Monday, I will have my Monday morning analyst where I will um, check this out. Let me know which fight you would like me to see me talk more about. I am going to talk about UFC Albany and Glory and Bellator and all the other stuff on that podcast. Um, congrats to all of tonight's winners. You were amazing. And um, if you have a question for me, I'm at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. You can email me, and I always appreciate it when you do. At SBN Luke Thomas on Twitter. Facebook.com slash LukeThomasNews. And I'm the host of the Luke Thomas Show. SiriusXM XM Rush Channel 93 weekdays, 4 to 6 p.m. Give it a listen, will you? You'd be surprised what you might find. It's a lot like this, only even better. Okay, guys. Until next time, get some rest.